And we are going to continue our study through the study through the I am's of Jesus, seven times that Jesus uh, declares who he is. And also in that declaration of who he is, um, a declaration of who he is as being the divine savior, the God, God who's come into the world. And so he, as we understand who he is, we begin to better understand who we are as well. So we're going to be looking today at the sixth one um, in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. So would you please uh, stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. John 14, verses 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is God's word made as blessing to the reading of it. You may be seated. Well, have you ever been lost? Have you ever been lost? You know, I, I was reflecting after I thought I lost one of my kids that it might be scary to lose one of your kids than it is to lose yourself. But um, I remember times that I've been lost. Um, I remember a time being in a very large Asian city, a gigantic Asian city of a million and a half people. Um, I was studying the language there. I didn't know the language well. I didn't know how to read it, barely knew how to speak it. And I needed to go to a new part to take care of some official business. And I took a different way home. For some reason, I got all turned around. Well, if you've ever been in a city of a million and a half people with, with signs that you can't read, it's scary. You're like, I don't know how I'm going to get home. It was a miracle that I ever made it home. I didn't like being lost. If you've ever been lost, uh, you probably don't like being lost either. Um, I needed help to get back on track. And that leads us into this sixth of the seven I am statements of Jesus, uh, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's because he is the one who rescues lost people. Those who've lost their way, those who've lost their grip on the truth, those who have lost hope in life. Of all the I am statements that Jesus makes, uh, this may be the one that people find the most offensive. That's because it's the most exclusive of all of the I am statements of Jesus. Not only does he say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but he adds on at the end of that, that no one comes to the Father except through him. No one comes to the Father. There's not another way to come to the Father except through him. So when a person wants to be right with God, when a person wants to know he pleases God, wants to know what commands come from God, want to know how to have a spiritual foundation, where does he go? Where does he find God? Jesus says he's the only way. 
Now, the, the people of the world violently object to the idea that there is only one way to God. The world wants to believe that God owes something to everyone. There's a God, the, the thinking goes, that he's there to be sure that we all end up in a good spot. So it doesn't like this idea that there is one way to God. And maybe you're here today and you don't like the idea that there is one way to know God. I was at Dunkin' Donuts yesterday, noticing the coexist sticker there. And although we do need to coexist in our nation together, it doesn't mean at the dis, dis, um, setting aside of what Jesus is saying here. Now we want to address the exclusive claims of Christ here, and we're going to do it a little bit more through the course of our time. But we have to realize that, that it is Jesus who makes this exclusive claim. I don't know if you noticed that. If people are offended because the Bible says there's only one way to God, then they have accurately understood what Jesus is saying here. They, I mean, it's an accurate understanding. There is only one way, and if you reject Christianity, if you reject the Bible or reject the gospel because of those reasons, at least there's a recognition that there's an understanding of what the Bible teaches. It does teach there is one way. You can't have the approval of God. You can't go to heaven unless you go through Jesus Christ. Now, if you know what our problem is, if you really know what our problem is, then you become grateful that God has provided any way for us to go to heaven. I mean, when you grasp the nature of sin, when you see it for the cosmic rebellion against God that it is, where we have allied ourselves as enemies in sin against God, when you see the guilt of sin and you see its shame, and you see what you have done, I mean, we would expect that God would not provide any way in order to get to heaven. But he does. He's provided a way of forgiveness. He has provided a way of life. And so we should be amazed that there is any way in order to go to heaven. I mean, that is an act of, of sheer grace. And instead of any of us ever complaining that Christianity is so narrow, we might, God, we might thank God that he has made it so wide. Wide enough for a sinner to go through as they go through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way. Now, I don't know about you when you think of Jesus being the way, what you think of. I mean, I usually think of a path, right? There's this path, and there's this path. There's different paths to go, but only one leads to, to God. And if you follow that way, you'll, you'll get there. You know, but this, way, I was, this week, I was just thinking about, about um, Jesus being a way, which was maybe is more consistent with the idea of being united to Christ, our union with Christ. What does it mean that Jesus is the way? And think about it this way. Um, you know, many of you know that I was born and I was raised in Denver, Colorado, and I still love to take trips to, to, to Denver to visit my family. If... Denver is the destination that you're going to go to. You know that there are a few ways to get there, right? I mean, you can go through Kansas or you can go through Nebraska. Although if you're driving through either one, you would not know any difference between the two. They're just straight, flat, and, and, and boring. But you can think of different ways. Maybe you'd get there. Maybe you'd drive. Um, you could fly. If you're adventurous, maybe you'd take a horse. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe take a train. 
I mean, but there's one thing that you can't do to get there, you know. There's one way you can't get there, and that's by a boat. Because there's no way in order to get a boat over to, to, to Denver, Colorado. Um, there's things that won't work. Or think about how you would get to the moon, right? There aren't multiple ways to get there. You know, there's just by way of some sort of a rocket ship. I mean, you have to fly in order to get there. Well, as I was thinking about our union with Christ, I was thinking about this. It's like the rocket is the way to get to the moon. I mean, so Jesus is the way to get to God the Father. Jesus is the way to get to heaven. I mean, it's like we hitch a ride with him. And we connect ourselves with him. And, and he's the one who brings us up with his father. And I think that is going to bear out through our text. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. As we look through Jesus speaking about himself as being the only way to heaven. If you have the bulletin, you can follow along my three points today. And my first of the three points is that, uh, is that Jesus has been the only way to heaven. He's the one who prepares heaven for us. We see that verses one through four. Heaven, Jesus prepares heaven for us. As we come to verse one, Jesus is addressing a concern and anxiety that really the disciples have. If you can jump back into chapter 13, you kind of see some of the context. Jesus is in the upper room. He's been praying with his disciples. He's, uh, he's washed their, or he will pray. He's washed their feet. They, they're going to have a meal together. But in chapter 13, verse 33, he says this. He says, I will be with you only a little longer. And he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. So they're gonna, he's only going to be there a little bit, and they can't come with him. And Peter gets stuck on this idea of Jesus leaving. And he says this in verse 36, chapter 13, 36. He says, Lord, where are you going? And why can't I follow you? Jesus knows that they're troubled that he's going away. Verse 1 is in that context. He's, he's calming them. Verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I mean, I can understand their concern. I hate it when people leave. Sometimes I even hate it when I leave. You know, I hate it when people move. I hate it when people get upset. Um, you know, I um, hate it when people travel. Um, you know, I, I, I miss seeing people. But, I mean, the disciples, it's more than this. They had invested the, the best part of their lives with Jesus. And in saying this, he feels their loss. They loved him so much, they wanted to go with him wherever it was that he traveled. They needed his leadership, and he was leaving. But Jesus had to do something that they couldn't do. They couldn't participate. He was headed to the cross, to the final stages of that rescue mission, where he'd pray, pay the penalty of sin. And, and that's something they, that they couldn't do. It was something he needed to do himself, something that only he could do. And so verse 1, he gives us bigger perspective of his going away. Trust in God, he says. Trust in him. Because we all know that there's a reason for his going away. It's to prepare a place in heaven for his people. And that's critical. Because they saw him die, they would have been tempted to think that everything was lost. Was the mission lost? Was his work pointless? Was their following him um, pointless? They needed to trust in him and his father in that, in that period. I mean, we don't always know what God is doing, Right? The disciples would experience something very tragic, very traumatic in seeing their Savior die. And they needed to see that something was happening. That happens to us as well. We face loss. 
We need that promise and hope that God is doing something behind the scenes of our difficulties, something that we cannot see. That's, that's why God has given us his word. God has given it to us so we can remember that something is going on, that God is doing something, that God has done something. We need to remember to see our lives in the context of the bigger story, the bigger story of what God is doing. The things that we're going to focus on, they're going to steer us. If we have lots of anxiety, that's going to affect us. There's, there's no way around it. And he, Jesus says, trust in me and trust in my Father. There's a reason for what's happening. So what is Jesus doing? He sees in, we, we see this in verse 2. He says this, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, what I have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to his Father's house to prepare a place for his disciples to live. I mean, he's clearly speaking about heaven. He's speaking about that realm in which that, 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 that his father lives, that he's going to dwell with his father forever and ever um, in the next life. And he's going ahead to prepare a place there. Now, if they knew he's going to do that, would that change the way they looked at his departure? Think of it like a, a father who would say to his kids, you know, kids, I have a new job in another city. I have to move there and I have to get started in that and I'm going to buy a house and so we can be together again. It might be hard to be separated for this short period of time, but I know it won't, but it won't last forever. We'll be back together. So how did Jesus prepare this place? We did it by his death on the cross. I mean, there is no other way that heaven could receive us in our sin. I mean, heaven is a, heaven is a holy place. It's a perfect place. The Bible says that God's own eyes cannot tolerate uh, sin or wickedness. And something had to be done with our sin before we could go into heaven. That's what Jesus is getting to when he says he's going to prepare a place for us. When he died on a cross, he took the sins of his people upon himself. We talk about it as a sacrifice of atonement. We talk about it as a, as a propitiation or, or as a substitutionary atonement because that's when Jesus died on the cross. He bore the sins of his people upon him. So all the wrath of God would be poured against him as he died there on the cross. He took the place of his people. He took voluntarily, took their sin upon himself so that they could then qualify to be in heaven. Not by what they've done, but by what he has done. That's the reason Jesus says no one will get to the Father except through him. It's why he tells his disciples that they can't follow him when he leaves. Once he's done, they can follow him, but not right now. It's the only way that our sins could be dealt with. Because he had to die on that cross in order to get us into heaven. Now look what else he says and look in verse 2. He says that there are many rooms in his father's house. I, you know, I love to read that. I don't know if you love to read that. I love to read it. You know, because he paid the sin of, of, of a countless number of people. We might think that as we uh, look at the number of people who don't believe around us, you know, we can sometimes wonder, is anybody going to be there? You know, when we're alone in our faith, in our family, at work, at school, we see the narrow way of heaven. We might wonder if anyone's going to be there. What Jesus assures us that he's prepared the way for many people. He's prepared it for anyone. It is an amazing bit of grace. He prepared it for this many people, many multitudes more people of every tribe and tongue and language of people. It is amazing grace that he would do that. Many rooms. 
It's not a sparsely populated place. And it's a good reminder to any of us that there is room for each of us to go into heaven. Jesus makes a way in his death on the cross. You see him as an eager host. He wants his people there. You know, don't think that your sins are too much for him. His one death, death was enough to pay the penalty of sin for all of his people. There are many rooms. Now look at verse 3. Jesus will do more than go away on a mission. He's also going to come back to bring them to their final destination. Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You know, you see this enthusiasm, this hospitality here. Not only will he prepare a place, but he's going to come back in order to bring them there. After his death on the cross, after his burial, what was the next thing? But he rises again from the dead and he ascends into heaven. And we have the promise of his return. Like the father who moves away to start a new job, to, 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 to buy the house, that father also comes to get his family personally and to bring them into their new home. He comes back, so they're going to be reunited. That's Jesus' plan. But it's not something that everyone understood, even as they heard him speaking. And that's going to lead to my next point. My next point, number two, that Jesus reminds us about heaven. We see this in verse 5. I don't know if you've ever tried to explain something to somebody and you have to keep doing it over and over because they just don't get it. And I think that's what happens in verse 5 with the Apostle Thomas. Thomas said to him in verse 5, you see here, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now we might ask what's wrong with Thomas here. And it's because Jesus has been pretty clear about the answers to all of his questions. I mean, first of all, he already said, if you look back in verse 2, where he was going. Where is he going? His father's house to prepare a place for them. Secondly, in verse 3, he said he would come back and get the disciples showing that he was the way in order to get to the Father's house. In verse 4, he goes on even to say, you know the way. And so even though that Jesus told him where he's going and how they're going to get there eventually, Thomas says he doesn't know the destination or the way. I mean, what is happening here? As I was really meditating and thinking about this, I was just thinking of how this really shows how slow we can be, any one of us can be, to understand what Jesus came to do. How slow that we can do to really believe it and to receive it as our own. It shows how dull that we can be to spiritual truth. We can have things right there in front of us, stated plainly, and still not understand the message. We need God to open our minds, God to open our hearts. We need to see the resurrected Savior. We need the Holy Spirit to come upon us. That's how we learn these things. We need to understand what Jesus' mission is about also. Thomas is thinking about the physical things in the world. I mean, the disciples still dreamed of an earthly Messiah. They would build a physical kingdom on this earth. They had little vision for a suffering Savior who would die for their sins, rise from the dead, and bring about a heavenly kingdom. They didn't quite grasp that Jesus was building a new heavenly people for himself. They were pilgrims. That's why I think Thomas is like so many of us. He's looking for where he needs to go. He's looking for what he needs to do. He's looking for a pathway that he can get started on so he can get there. In the end, he wants to do it himself. He's looking for some political kingdom to build. Where he needs to go to the next protest or rally, and he just doesn't get it. And so Jesus is going to repeat himself. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a reminder for Thomas and all of us that we won't get to heaven by being a better person or by working harder. Uh, uh, None of us will bring God's kingdom through political causes or, 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 or moral efforts in this world. That's because the kingdom is not of this world. Thomas is only going to get there through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. So we need to know where we're going. And Thomas was about to miss it because he loved the world, but Jesus is going to show him the way. Are you missing it because you're looking for the wrong place for your hope? Jesus reminds us of heaven. Well, a third point we want to look at today, verses 6 and 7, is that Jesus brings us into heaven. Jesus brings us into heaven. So, uh, again, Jesus answers Thomas's question, making it plain. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Notice what Jesus does here. He doesn't point out the way to God. He doesn't say, hey, look at that road sign over there. That's the road to God. That's the religion you need to go in. Those are the rituals you need to go to. Then you'll end up knowing God. He doesn't do that. He doesn't point to a book and say, hey, if you want truth, it's in here. Read it right here. Read the philosophers. Read this stuff. You know, that's truth. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, if you want a life, Start building it for yourself, believe in yourself, and start doing what, what, what you want. But he says this, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, he is the way, the truth, and life personified. The personification of these things, is, these things have all been put into a person. And he says, look at me if you're looking for those things. Look at me, that's what I came to do. It's not found in something that we do. It's not found in somewhere we go. It's not found in any other place. They're found in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to have a foundation for truth, for faith, for life? You know, to have life, real life, life worth living? If you want those things, we hitch up to Christ. We believe him. Ultimate truth is not found in TED Talks, college degrees, or Aristotle. Eternal life is not found in possessions, people, professions, or power. Our way is not discovered in political causes, social activism, or a pleasure-driven life. As good as any one of those things may be, without Christ, they do not lead us to God. They don't bring purpose. They do not bring meaning. They do not bring significance in themselves. And done without faith, any of the good things we do do not please God either. We need a way to be right with God. Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the way for those who are lost. Do you feel alienated from God? Jesus brings you back to him. What is it that alienates us from God? Isn't isn't it our sin? The guilt of our sin? The things of our past that uh, leave us with shame? Jesus Christ overcame those in his death on the cross. He removes them far away from us. He died his death so you can be wiped clean of those things. They appear before God, sparkling clean. Listen to God's word in Isaiah 44, 22. He says, I blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Isn't that what Jesus Christ has done for his people? Or look at Psalm 103. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, 
so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Jesus has dealt with the guilt and the shame of sin in bringing us back to God. That's what he does. He's the truth for the seeker. The one who truly wants God is truly seeking him out. They will find the truth in Jesus Christ. And he is a truth that speaks. He's a truth that has given us his word. He has revealed his father to us. He has shown us that God is personal, that God is holy, that God is merciful, that God is loving. He has shown us who he, who he is by being the I am who has come down to live among us. We see God in the flesh, the truth, as we look at the life of Jesus Christ. He's also eternal life for the spiritually dead. John 3.16 reminds us of that, doesn't it? He's eternal life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He has life in himself. And so if you're afraid of death, if you're afraid of hell, you know that you find life in him. We look to him for that life. And he makes this exclusive way then makes an exclusive way, get back to that exclusive claim that he is the way to God. The church didn't make that up. I didn't make it up. We, as we believe in this, we shouldn't be apologetic by saying that Jesus is the only way because he said he was the only way. We're just repeating what he said. And we believe that what he said is right because he's the only one who physically rose from the dead. His works, his words have power. We see the power of his words in his resurrection. And the exclusive claims of Christ ring true to us as we know the resurrection. And we hear those words. There's no other way. And to say there's another way is to say that Jesus didn't need to come and die. God would have wasted that work in having Jesus die if there was any other way. And that's not a small thing. Would God have given up his son for this if there was any other way? The sacrifice of Christ becomes nonsensical. The Bible becomes irrelevant and it calls Jesus and God a liar. And we have to come to grips with that. We can't fudge on this doctrine thinking that maybe there's another way to God. Nature won't lead us to God. No other religion will lead to God. We can't be good enough to go to, to earn heaven. And that's why evangelism is so important. It's why world missions are so important. It's why the church has to be clear about the gospel message. There's no other way to heaven. And it's all grace. It's all accomplished by God's grace through the work of finished work of Jesus Christ as a substitutionary atonement upon that cross. And so let me ask you, what are you trying to build on? You know, what are you looking for, for a good life? Do you think it comes in money or sex or promotion or marriage or retirement? I mean, none of those things lead us to the Father. They don't lead to the Father's house. But if you know Jesus, you're on the way to the Father's house. In fact, you know the Father right now. That's why Jesus says, when you talk to God and you pray, pray our Father. That's what he's done. He's brought us that close. To know him personally as we look forward to that time that we will be present with him in all glory. He brings us that close that we can know him even as we travel with Christ. Anticipating with great hope of what we look forward to in the future. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, Jesus made our way to heaven. What a glorious truth.
We won't find another way. God, because he has dealt with our sin and our shame. He made it, oh Father, so that we can live a life that's pleasing to you. I mean, that, that is our hope. It's not in ourselves. Help us to live in light of that. Help us to live unashamed of it. Father, we know it is hope to the world. And as we know that, help us to make that message known to the world. We ask you, God, for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.